This episode of No Bad Food is brought to you in part by Whiskey Lane. Are you a producer of artisan food or drinks looking to get your name out there? Look no further. Whiskey Lane's team of social media, branding, and marketing experts is here to help. They'll take care of all that stuff for you so that you can focus on doing what you do best, making awesome products for your customers. Here at No Bad Food, we know that buying locally made products goes a long way toward making our world more sustainable, and that's why we're proud to be sponsored by Whiskey Lane. So, what are you waiting for? Grab your nearest artisan cheese or homebrewed IPA and run to whiskeylane.ca to find out more. And remember, that's whiskey the Canadian way. Without any. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. Hi, I'm Tom Zalatni, and you're listening to the No Bad Food Podcast. If you're new here, welcome. This is a show about great food and the people who love to make and eat it. Our mandate is simple, to explore, taste, and learn about food in ways that celebrate all the things that make it great. Every week, we dig into a different dish, meal, ingredient, cuisine, or piece of food media, exploring the history and culture around it, sharing favorite recipes, and learning from our wonderful guests. The only rule? You gotta love it. After all, there's no such thing as bad food. Today we're continuing LGBTQ, our summer pride series. But first, before we dig in, I want to take a minute to acknowledge that the studio where I'm recording is situated within the traditional and unsurrendered territories of the Ganyangahaga First Nations. As settlers, it's important that we remember that lands we occupy are not our own, and that we engage in conversations that challenge the colonial mindset. Fairly recently, uh, at the time of this recording, it was found that there were 215 dead children's bodies found uh, at the site of a residential school here in Canada. Uh, a lot of people reacted to this with shock and and acting like this is such a surprising thing. And the really devastating and unfortunate reality is that it's not that shocking or surprising if you've been paying attention. Uh, I would like to encourage you, if you don't know about the Canadian residential school system and the, frankly, genocidal impact that it had uh, on Indigenous communities all over the country, uh, you should go look that up. Um, I will even just drop a link to the Wikipedia page for it in the description of this episode so that you can just click that and read. Um, it was a really, really shitty thing that the government of Canada, the settler government of Canada, did for a very, very long time to, uh, and I, I use air quotes here because this is what they literally said, it, the goal of it was <laughs> to kill the Indian in the child uh, because they were trying to convert all of the indigenous children here to Christianity of various forms and assimilate them into the Canadian air quotes culture. And, and that is, you know, absolutely buck wild because there is no such thing as Canadian culture because it is a settler colony that came and took everything and, and fucked people up. And it's really shitty. And I get really pissed off when I see people, especially white people here <laughs> talking about it as if it's surprising and shocking and, and it's like, well, they think that because the government has done a really good job of pretending that it never happened. And like, all this to say, if you live in a colonized settler place, um, maybe do a little bit of digging and find out what kind of 
stuff like this has happened where you are because I guarantee some of it has and uh, that is really really terrible um, as we are you know rapidly approaching Canada Day I would like to encourage my listeners to not celebrate it and to instead you know write to members of parliament encouraging them to actually take reconciliation seriously instead of just you know <laughs> waving their hands at it yeah anyway that's that's the space I'm in today uh, <laughs> but This is a show about food and about joy, so let us try to find it together. June is Pride Month, which means that it's the time of year where queer voices are being amplified and celebrated more than usual. And for me, this is the first year that I am fully out in my queerness in like a public way. Uh, And so I thought it would be cool to do something to celebrate that this year. So for the whole month of June, I'm talking to friends from all ends of the acronym about a type of food that I love almost as much as I love myself barbecue. I I think that there's not enough representation in the food media scene of queer people, especially when it comes to cooking meat over fire, because cooking meat over fire is one of those things that the media kind of portrays as like macho and masculine, and it super doesn't have to be. So I thought, you know what, let's do our part to improve the representation there by talking to a bunch of my queer friends about barbecue, and talking about the ways that food can teach us to love ourselves in the process. So this is LGBTQ, an acronym that I am very, very proud of. I don't really have a thesis for this series beyond queer people like barbecue too. My goal here is really just to have these conversations with lovely people about a thing that we love. And I'm hoping that if you're listening to this and you're queer and you've never felt like there's space for you in the world of barbecue, this might help you with that. This might show you that in fact there is space and that there is always room on the grill for whatever you want to throw on there. Let's get into it. My guest for this week's episode is Rhiannon Jenkins. Rhiannon is an actor and improviser based out of London in the UK who's always had a big love for barbecue. After university, she spent some time in South Africa, where there's a huge barbecue culture that is uh, pretty different from the barbecue culture that I know here in North America. So I am really, really excited to have her tell me a bit about that today, and also about, you know, her relationship to her queerness and her relationship to barbecue with her family. Rhiannon, thanks so much for joining us on No Bad Food. No, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. (laughs) Um, I always like to ask my guests right out the gate to kind of contextualize themselves a little bit in terms of like their relationship with food. And I think especially during our LGBTQ summer series, uh, I like to ask my guests also to contextualize themselves in their relationship with food and their relationship with their queerness. So how about you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, it's such an open-ended question. Um, (laughs) I am uh, an actor and an improviser, which, you know, is how you and I Met, I think we met on improvisers talking about food, right? That's right. Yeah, my my yeah. favorite Facebook group of all time. Yes, you posted in there, and I was like, "Oh, barbecue! Fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah!" So, I, yeah, I'm an actor and an improviser, and I I do a little directing and teaching. I've been quite an avid traveler since sort of finishing university. Well, even before then, really. Um, So experiencing barbecuing and food all over the world um, is definitely something that I like to do. And yeah, in terms of kind of queerness, I suppose um, this year's been, I think a lot of people have found that this year of being at home all the time and, you know, having time with your thoughts has been quite revelatory. You know, I mean, I mean, I've I've always known that I was attracted to uh, kind of everyone. But this year I've kind of been like, oh, yeah, no, that... I'm not straight. I'm, <laughs> and I've been, I, I was using the term bisexual, but I think, I don't know, because sometimes that feels like maybe that's not quite right. Maybe pansexual is more the correct term. It's not, it's very not about what people look like or their outward appearances. It's, 
it's like a flavor of a person <laughs> often. so that ties in quite nicely with the food sure. uh, i suppose so yeah i suppose that's that's me when we talk about food and queerness, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> That's fair. I uh, I feel that. I For a long time, I identified as bisexual. And like at some point, I think just because when I started identifying as bisexual, I didn't know that non-binary people existed. And like right. now I am that. And like it was at some point for me, it started to feel like there was a bit of a disconnect there because bisexual makes it makes it feel like I'm acknowledging that I'm only attracted to two types of people, if that makes sense. And I'm not like, I'm attracted to, like you said, kind of everybody under the sun, uh, at least yeah. potentially. <laughs> and and so I was kind of like, that for me, then I just was like, okay, well maybe I'm pan, but then I thought about pan and was like, I don't know if I'm, I just don't know that I personally like the word pansexual because like, it doesn't, it doesn't have the ring for me. So I just started mm-hmm. saying that I'm queer because it feels all encompassing. So I, I completely understand that sort of like tenuous relationship with those labels. Yeah. And it's also, it's relatively new because I think, um, well, there's that certain amount of dismissiveness, particularly around female sexuality mm-hmm. of like, oh, well, it's just, you know, but it's just girls being girls. Like you're just, <laughs> you're like wearing lingerie and having pillow parties. Right. And also, I do think there's a, not that I'm old by any stretch, I'm, I'm 27, but like, there is still that thing of like, I don't think we had the words to describe a lot of things until quite recently. Sure, yeah. You know, even, you know, when I was at school, I don't think anyone would have used the term pansexual, really, or not many, like maybe we would just about talk about trans people, like just about, mm-hmm. um, but in a very specific way that was mostly quite derogatory, probably. Right. And like, I don't think I've, I'd heard the term non-binary at all before I was like maybe 24, 25. Right. Whereas my little sister is 10 years younger than me and she's so... Like she just has all of the vocabulary to understand things and people her age are able to be like, oh yeah, I think this, like they hear these words, they they look up what they mean and they go, oh yeah, oh that, actually that's really how I feel. Right. Um, and I think people of, uh, well, I'm saying my age, I don't know how old you are, but. I am also 27. <laughs> yeah, I think people of our age, like gay culture had been more widely accepted Mm -hmm. but this there was still like the gender binary being very very in effect right and um yeah i think there was a lot of human gender and sexuality that just was not part of the mainstream and you would have had to do a lot of digging to find those things and as a you know 17 year old where do you even begin (laughs) right yeah i think in some ways i'm quite jealous of the the kids because they've they've got all these these ways of expressing themselves but then i i feel you know their parents i feel like they still have a lot of work to do in terms of being accepted by older generations and things so actually you know i mean every generation has its struggles right and i feel like trans and non-binary acceptance is really the the massive struggle for the kids that are younger than us i think yeah i think so it's it's interesting i i was thinking about this as well because i'm uh so i'm going back to school this fall and uh thinking about like starting my undergrad at 28 and like how i'm going to have classmates who are you know a full decade younger than me and i'm also going to have teachers who are my age and and there's definitely a weird kind of 
you know disconnect there but i've been thinking a lot about how like you know these these zoomers as we call them are like <laughs> totally equipped in different ways than than we were right like like i think about and this is a silly thing but when i think about you know queer culture and like acceptance and diversity and inclusion my brain goes straight to what was glee doing <laughs> because i think that glee for all that it was a ridiculous <laughs> show did a pretty good job of like acknowledging where we were at then in terms of yeah. like all of that stuff where it like tried to be progressive because like that was part of the goal of the show but it did it in a way that like showed people struggling with that too and you know thinking about that like yeah we did eventually get like trans storylines that like in you know rewatching it in 2021 they don't super hold up but they're there <laughs> um, and i think about it and i'm yeah. like yeah we there were no characters on that show who used they them pronouns they hadn't gotten there yet they didn't know that that was a thing and so when i think about it it's like yeah of, of course you know even when i started podcasting like six years ago i like you know i knew internally that i didn't super identify as a man but i didn't really have language for that so i just would jokingly be like yeah but i'm not like really a man and that always felt a little bit like i was putting myself down and then when i learned that there was a word for that it really like you know there was a word for what i was feeling and what i was feeling was like you know gender queerness and like you know non-binaryness non-binary hood whatever the yeah. noun for that is <laughs> a lack of binary and and for me that was so like eye-opening and like freeing and it was really cool to be able to then go like okay cool like this is me now I can kind of like figure out how the rest of me fits into this that's awesome um and thinking about how like you know yeah teens these days like you know there will always be bullies there will always be conservative people in their lives who are like you know shitty to them about things that make them not the like the norm or whatever but there is more of a like language around it. And I think just having language helps so much. Yeah, totally. And I think they get, they get to, I don't know, move through those discoveries at a much faster pace, mm -hmm. maybe because yeah, there's, there's representation, there's more representation in the media. I mean, it's interesting you're talking about Glee because yeah, I mean, I fucking loved Glee right? as a teenager. <laughs> And then I look. I started rewatching it actually um, earlier last year, and then was like, "Oh shit, <laughs> um, Ryan Murphy, what is happening here?" But then when you compare that to like Pose, Pose is brilliant and so diverse and s such clear representation of that snapshot of like what society was like then, and you know much better in terms of trans representation and stuff and it's the same creator and i think it's just it's it's amazing the uptick in those kind of more truthful storylines and then also you've got place like shows like Shit's creek where there's queer representation but like non-traumatic right. which is amazing you know like I love that reading the interviews with the the cast and the writers and stuff where they were like yeah like the the representation of how fucking shit it is to be queer has kind of been done to death right we we kind of want to show people like but you don't have to be like that you can be nice to queer people and look look how great it is yeah. and I think maybe that's what we need to be seeing more of is actually just really happy queer people living their lives and and the central story is not oh jesus christ they're so persecuted it's 
hey, this doctor also happens to be non-binary or, you know, whatever whatever the storyline is, but it's it's not it's not their only deal, you know? Right. Yeah, well, it's like I think about... I think about Grey's Anatomy is another one, like totally dating myself again here, but like, you know, that show has been on the air for like 15 years. It's, it's dealt with things left and right. I'm sure early episodes have some, you know, I I don't know this for sure, but I'm sure there's at least one like trans storyline that is terrible in Grey's Anatomy. I'm I'm positive, but they also now have an actor who is actually trans playing a trans character. And so far anyway I've seen this character for two seasons and they haven't addressed it once and I'm like this is how you do it you just let this character exist and you just let them be and you let them be a doctor (laughs) you know you let them just do what they're doing and and it doesn't have to always be this like misery porn that we were given when we were young oh yeah misery porn is such a good way of putting it actually yeah I like I on the one hand I, I I understand the idea of like we want to show people how their bigotry can hurt people and be harmful and everything. But then also, you know what? If somebody needs a film to tell them that being a massive fucking asshole to people is going to hurt them, like I'm not sure that I'm not sure that you know a, a, a filming of the Danish girl is gonna is gonna sort them out. You right. know, they're probably still gonna be a dick. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's why that's why I think that it it is like it's really nice to get some like positive representation, right? Where you're just like, these are characters doing what they're doing. They are diverse and like they are normal people and and we get to see them going through whatever they're going through. And like, you know, I think it's okay to occasionally have a storyline that acknowledges the struggles, right? Because like those are <laughs> real parts of those characters' lives. But when yeah. it's the entire focus of their plot line and then the only, you know, the final solution is, hey, you know, they stop getting bullied and they fall in love and now they're in a monogamous relationship and everything is fine. Cough, cough, glee. There's, Ugh. you know, it's it runs out of that nuance, right? Like, I actually think that, you know, <laughs> sticking with glee as an example, I think that, like, <laughs> Kurt Hummel's dad is a better character than Kurt Hummel because yeah! he, he is he goes through that emotional journey of, like, being set in his ways coming to accept his son's queerness, becoming a killer ally, and then actually, like, you know, going through his own shit on the side in the process. Like, he he just, he has all these layers, and his storyline isn't just, I'm different, so I get bullied, then I get accepted, then I find love and stop being yes. interesting. You know, he actually has this development, and I think that's what we need, you know? Fucking right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Plus, Kurt's dad, cute as hell. Oh, my God. Yeah, He's so cute. Mike O'Malley can get it. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, it's the mid-roll. If you're enjoying the show so far, make sure to hit subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on so that you never miss a new episode. While you're at it, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or sharing this episode with a friend. For every new rating and review I get during the month of June, I'll be donating $2 to Gender Creative Kids. Gender Creative Kids is an organization that aims to run workshops and community events for trans, non-binary, and gender creative youth, providing gender-affirming gear, educational tools, advocacy, and help for parents learning how to better adapt to their kids' needs. Having parents who are properly equipped and affirming of their gender identity is a really huge factor for improving the quality of life of trans kids, and you can learn more about what Gender Creative Kids is doing at the link in the description of this episode. 
Now that this show has been heavily focused on food for a while, I went back and noticed that most of our existing Apple podcast reviews are really outdated and still talk about the show as if it's a comedy podcast. And also a lot of them use my wrong pronouns. (laughs) So if you have already left a review in the past, maybe take this opportunity to go update it. And uh, I'll include that as a new review, even if it's technically just an update of an old one, because I don't really like it when people use the wrong pronouns for me. And also because, you know, accurate reviews of a show are a lot more helpful than outdated ones. So yeah, go do that. Last but not least, if you haven't had a chance yet to listen to last week's episode with Steven Davidson, go cue that up and listen when you finish this one. We kicked off our LGBTQ series with a great conversation about grilling and its link to communal meals and our journeys of redefining masculinity in ourselves through our queerness. I think you'll get a kick out of it. All right, back to the show. So this actually like brings me to the sort of, you know, barbecue side of it because, you know, <laughs> for one reason being... I, I'm sure Mike O'Malley can barbecue. He just, he has such like grilled ad energy. Um, but to- Oh my God, yeah. With that little, with his hat and his plaid shirt. Oh my God, right? adorable. I, I bet he makes a mean burger. Um, but too, I, I think that, you know, part of why I wanted to do this series is because, you know, I watch a lot of Food Network. I've, I grew up watching the Food Network. I currently watch a ton of the Food Network. And like, while it's true that there are, you know, there are queer people on the Food Network. You know, you do get, you do get queer chefs on TV. Yeah. They exist. That that that's true. But I think that especially in barbecue, I haven't seen a ton of representation of that. When I watch, you know, TV shows that are like specifically branded as being about grilling, it's like more often than not, it's a lot of like middle-aged straight men and the occasional like southern lady who like is probably queer, uh, but they don't talk about it. And I think yeah. like having a little bit of like intentional representation of queer people who love to grill is is kind of a thing that I wanted to do here, where it's like, we don't have to make this about, you know, how we were bullied and grilling was the thing that like saved our lives. If that's someone's story, <laughs> cool, I'd love to hear it. But it's more just about like celebrating, like we love food, we are here, <laughs> let's make that space. Because I think that, you know, for me, when I came out as non-binary and like was figuring out, okay, you know, there's say four and a half years of me on the internet, you know, thinking that I am cis or at least projecting cisness to the world. And now I'm non-binary. And what does that mean? How do I, you know, (laughs) do I have to change aspects about myself to like reflect my, myself better? And, you know, Mm -hmm. all of the sort of questions that come around that, like, that I think I wouldn't have had to answer if I was a completely private person. I would have just been like, cool, I'm this now. (laughs) Um, When I was like figuring all of that out, I was like, you know, like there's not, it doesn't feel to me like there is room for me to be queer and, you know, not a like traditional macho man while also loving things like baseball and barbecuing. And I had to kind of really wrestle with that for a little while where I was like, is it okay if those become part of my like... (laughs) This is the kind of crap that you have to think about when you have an online persona. Like, do I, is it okay for this to be part of my like outward facing brand? Right. Cause like if my outward facing brand is to be as authentic to myself as possible, can I have these two identities that seem conflicting? And I, you know, ultimately was like, well, they're not conflicting. That's it. Screw it. <laughs> there, there's yeah. no, you know, the, the, the grilling is not gendered. Baseball a little bit more gendered because the MLB is super duper gendered and and that sucks. And that is something I wish they would fix, but liking it is not inherently right. And so I had to Mm. kind of put myself in that situation. Anyway, all this being said, now I'm here and I'm like, let's do this. Let's get into it. Rhiannon, tell me about your love of the grill. What is your favorite 
like grilling memories that you have. T- tell me all about that. Because I don't know anything about UK barbecue culture. And I super don't know anything about South African barbecue culture. So UK barbecue culture is very... So, I mean, there's the there's the stereotype that, you know, mad dogs and Englishmen go out in the midday sun. And it's true. And British people are very much like... If we have a bank holiday weekend or a weekend where there is a hint of sunshine, and I mean the merest hint of sunshine, then you will smell barbecues from every angle because British people are like, shit, okay, it's there's a little bit of summer. We have to savor every <laughs> moment because it could go at any point. Um, so, and yeah, so like for me, my earliest memories of barbecues are, you know, with family, like my dad, and I think... I don't know if this is the thing in America, but in the UK, you know, kind of traditional gender roles would be that the, your mum cooks most of the time. Um, but dad, dad always cooks the barbecue. Right. Dad always does the barbecue. And it would be like a whole event. He has to get the coals. He has to set the coals on fire. Then he has to wait for them to, to die down a bit. And I mean, mum does all the actual food prep, but dad puts all the meat on the barbecue and you know it has a beer and does the barbecue <laughs> and then we we sit down outside and my dad doesn't particularly the funniest thing though is like my dad really likes barbecuing he really likes barbecued food but he's really not a big fan of sitting outside to eat he's always like oh but the, you know fucking bugs and everything and i'm like <laughs> to me the whole point of barbecuing is we cook outside and then we are outside you know mm. what i mean but dad would quite often be like oh can't we sit inside now that we've barbecued everything <laughs> we'd all be like no we're gonna sit outside and eat it that's the whole point it's sunny we want to be outside <laughs> But yeah, I mean, so yeah, all of my kind of earliest memories of barbecuing are of dad cooking a barbecue and like family coming over. My, I have a really big family. My mom is one of like seven brothers and sisters and they wow. all, or most of them have children. So, you know, like it was, it's quite a standard, oh, it's a bank holiday weekend and the family coming around and it's sunny. So shit, put a barbecue on. And yeah, I love like my one of my uncles used to be a chef so he would if we went to their house for a barbecue it was like a, a serious barbecue <laughs> um you know he'd do like marinated steaks and he'd have chicken that he'd left marinating for a day and he'd have he'd always have funky stuff you know halloumi skewers that he'd like prepped with some special sauce or whatever Whereas I, I quite like quite simple barbecue as well. Like with my dad, it would us- we'd usually do some form of chicken, hot dogs, and burgers, and, may- and then maybe something a wild card like steak or like halloumi skewers or something like that. But like pretty old school classics uh, for the British barbecues, I think is the general consensus. And then when I was a kid, or rather an older kid, sort of a teenager, when we were doing things by ourselves. We had a thing of like, it was such a thing to just go drinking in the park, you know, because you couldn't generally get into bars or whatever. Sure, yeah. And we would get those like shitty throwaway barbecues and then like Tesco value burgers and sausages, cook them on those crap barbecues and, you know, hope that nobody got food poisoning. It'd take like four hours to cook anything because they're so weak. So, yeah, lots of fun memories of being young and barbecuing, which 
is nice. I love that. <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, so, so I'm based in Montreal, and like, I think we have a similar thing here, where especially for me because I keep my grill in our garage because we don't have a proper like fenced in yard or a deck or anything so if I want to grill I have to like roll it out into the alley behind our house and do it all there uh, <laughs> so it's a, it's a whole ordeal right so anytime there's like you know that perfect window of opportunity where I have time to grill and the weather is okay I'm like oh, I have to take advantage of this it might get cloudy tomorrow for six months like I, I do it <laughs> I deal with it and it's uh yeah, it, it's funny because I I think I'm kind of similar to your dad in the respect of like really enjoying the actual like outside grilling part and then being like, okay, but can we get, eat this inside where there's no bugs? Because like, I don't like the bugs. Let's just, you know. <laughs> but I think that also yeah. probably for me comes a little bit from like not having a space that like feels like a dedicated outdoor. Like if I had a patio, I think I'd be more okay with the bugs, you know? Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. We have like my parents' house is a really nice big garden. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> well, you know. Um, different strokes for different folks i get it yeah i get it i mean you know sitting at a proper table with knives and forks and stuff does make it slightly easier to eat but um <laughs> yeah i mean also you've now you so you've become the grill dad you are yeah grill dad. yeah a little bit <laughs> which was like again it was one of those things that was tricky for me because i was like oh like i am such a dad but I'm non-binary. Like, can I be a dad? And it's like, yeah, you you can you can be a dad. Dad energy is is not a gendered thing anymore. You know, no, dad energy <laughs> is is just use universal. Yeah, like I I don't suppose you'd want to necessarily get your kids to call you something that's not dad. I don't know. Um, it's tricky. Like I I like like I'm good with it, but also there's always a little part of me that's kind of like, yeah, but like now people are going to assume. <laughs> I don't know yeah that's just a thing you know it's just a thing there's not there's not perfect language for it my hope is that by the time that like the kids these days are god we're so old we're not even in our 30s and we're old you know (laughs) (laughs) but but my hope is that you know when these zoomers start having kids maybe they'll have a a good gender neutral term for a parent apart from parent which just doesn't have the affection attached to it no hello parent i'm home from school will you make me a snack doesn't quite have the ring to it does it yeah yeah i mean i i heard someone talking about um calling their instead of nieces and nephews i think they call them nibblings yeah which is cute that's a really cute word but i can't like piblings for parents that doesn't quite fit that's not right yeah um, i've heard pibbling i've heard pibbling as the gender neutral aunt or uncle oh that makes sense because yeah. it's like your parents sibling that makes sense yeah um that's cute i like that actually so yeah the thing is like because our generation are having children now and there's 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 more people who are openly trans and non-binary in our generation there's hopefully going to be even more in the jet like my sister's generation mm-hmm. you're right i think they'll they'll figure out some new terminology yeah i hope it's cute you know yeah because you don't want to call like you don't want your baby calling you something that isn't like sweet do yeah. you like you want it to be nice yeah <laughs> that's it it's like for me like i i would have gladly accepted whatever my kid in fact my my two-year-old sometimes calls me daddy pick which like i don't love <laughs> but i take it you know i take it because it's cute <laughs> <laughs> is he a fan of Peppa Pig? Oh yeah, yeah, he sure is. <laughs> oh, that's so cute, though. <laughs> uh, the best is he sometimes, you know, he'll turn to my partner and be like, "Oh, mommy pig," and turn to me and be like, "Daddy pig." But one time he said, like, 
thank you, mommy pig, and then turned to me and said, thank you. And just a real long pause, pig, and walked away. And I was like, (laughs) okay, (laughs) we're going to save that one for the cops. He's roasting you at two years old. I I know, I know. (laughs) It's like when my stepdaughter at like three and a half, maybe four, uh, we were explaining, you know, what someone's brand is, you know, because we had jokingly called something someone's brand. And she looked me dead in the eye and was like, hmm, I guess your brand is work. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, (laughs) you're not wrong. (laughs) I'm so tired. Just getting read for filth by these tiny children. That's amazing. No one does it better. No one does it better. So I'm really curious about, um, you said that you spent some time in South Africa as well. Um, What's the barbecue culture like there? Because it sounds to me like the the English barbecue culture is probably pretty similar to North American, maybe uh, at least similar to Montreal. I know, (laughs) you know, you know, Southern US barbecue is its whole other animal. But like, in terms of the sort of like, the barbecue that you see on TV, I think, is is a safe way to say that. Like, you know, hot yeah. dogs, chicken, burgers, pretty standard. Yeah. yeah. What's uh, what's South African barbecue culture like? Oh my god, it's amazing. So yeah, so before I before I was an actor, I had a brief interlude of training to be a vet because you know, I don't know. <laughs> As you do, life is weird. And so yeah, when I left university. After the third year, I didn't finish the like the medical training to be a vet, but um, I got an animal science degree after three years. And I was sort of like, oh, I don't know what to do with my life. I'll go traveling. That'll fix it. I'll find out, you know, classic. Um, so I went and worked at a monkey sanctuary um, just outside of Joburg. And yeah, like the the guy, it was it was such a bizarre setup, like South Africa is one of the strangest places I've ever been to. I mean, it's horribly uh, just an awful racist place, Mm. but it's also so beautiful and so much of it is so cool, but it, you know, it's riddled with crime. You have to be so careful everywhere you go because the, the, and the level of like insanely violent crime is really high. Mm. Um, It's just such a fractured society. But yeah, barbecuing or um, they call it braai uh, is huge, uh, a huge part of the kind of Afrikaans uh, culture. And they, I mean, oh my God. Yeah, the food is just insane. Like, it's so good. They do all this, like, they're so we, like, I, you know, we were living in like these weird sort of huts on the monkey sanctuary. And the guy who lived next door, he ran essentially like a bar just for us out of like his back porch. He would just buy in like beer and spirits and stuff. And we would go over and we would buy drinks off him that, you know, it'd be like less than 50p for a pint or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he would do, yeah, he'd do food for us as well at Ridiculously Cheap and he'd let us swim in his pool. I mean, it's just a really bizarre setup. Um, But it's just kind of in the countryside in the middle of nowhere. So I I guess like fine. And yeah, he would do just the most incredible brise uh, with like just fucking everything and anything like pork and steaks. And I mean, he cooked everything on the on the grill. Like he would he did his Christmas dinner on the grill. He like, yeah, he, he barbecued like a whole turkey on a grill, which just like blew my tiny mind when I saw that. 
That's awesome. Yeah, and he'd do like whole chickens on a spit. Or, um, I mean, he did some weird meats as well, like crocodile and things, which was cool. Yeah, and he's just this huge, huge South African guy. Um, like, incredibly tall, really chunky, big beard. God, I can't remember what his name is, which is terrible. But yeah, it was just like, you could just all day, every day, smell like grill smells coming from his house. It was incredible. <laughs> uh, that's I think that's what I aspire to be. Like the grill guy for the neighborhood. That yeah. is That is something. He's not just a grill dad for his own family. He's like the adoptive grill dad of all these like 20-somethings who are volunteering at a monkey sanctuary. <laughs> he was so fun. I love that. Yeah, there's something there's something about like having the like public facing identity of that's the grill guy where like yeah. you know you walk through town and you smell like smoke and everyone's like, "Oh, this is the guy who grills constantly." That's what I dream of being, I think. Yeah. And he, like, he was so great because he would just introduce us to so much cool stuff. Like, he used to make this um, meal called bunny chow, which is incredible. It's like you um, you take an entire loaf of bread, mm-hmm. hollow the bread out, fill it up with curry, and then put the bread back on top. And that is a, a meal for one human an entire loaf of bread that's full of curry and he'd like cook the curry on the he'd like he'd grill the meat on the barbecue outside and then sort of take it inside and you know make the sauce and stuff and then cook it again on the grill and then grill it in the bread on the grill to sort of finally heat it up and it was just incredible yeah i love that Um, and he introduced me to amarula which is just the greatest alcohol it's like they have these fruits in south africa called marula fruits and mm-hmm. elephants will like let them fall off the tree and for men and get drunk off them and then obviously humans have seen that and and then gone oh we could we could properly make this into alcohol yeah and it's a bit like baileys but fruity instead yeah. of I... and it's fucking great i have had this i haven't had a, an alcoholic drink in years i i have been sober for a while because I needed to, but I've definitely had this at some point. This uh, maybe it's, I think my mom maybe had a bottle. It's fucking delicious, <laughs> and he he used to put it like we'd have grills, and then he'd be like, "Oh, do you do you want some like amarula over a bowl of ice cream?" Oh my goodness, always halcyon days, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So I've been thinking a lot about like you know grill culture and like what we see as barbecue right because i think it can be really Mm -hmm. easy you know from a like western world perspective to like forget that cooking over a fire is like maybe the most basic human thing in the world that probably everybody who can make a fire has done at some point and so like i think there's there's this real like we do barbecue a disservice by just thinking of it in terms of like, you know, burgers and hot dogs and like, you know, burgers and hot dogs are great and they're part of it. But like, I I love hearing about the different sort of regional things that go on. And like, there's something about like, I love the idea of grilling a whole bird. That's wild. Mm -hmm. That must've taken hours though. Right. Yeah. I think he, like he got up in the morning like really early. I mean, also that's such a classic dad move, isn't it? Be like, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna wake myself up at like six a.m. on Christmas right. to grill. I mean, we have a working oven in the house, but no, I'm gonna grill it outside. Yeah, um, save the oven also, for the sides. Yeah, it's yeah, it's hilarious. Yeah, I mean, 
I think it because turkeys are big birds as well. I think it must have taken like all, all, all day. Yeah, I mean, it was so nice. It was such a, it was such a nice way to get to know people and like, because because I was there long term, but there were also volunteers who would just, you know, blow into town for two weeks or whatever, and like just sitting outside while some meat cooks on a barbecue and like some of you are sitting in the pool and you got a beer and the sun and it's warm and you know it's south africa like it's it was such a yeah it was so great and he was great yeah yeah you can't beat it like just i think that is the thing like that we don't quite have in the uk when it comes to barbecuing is like that real like just lounge around roasting hot weather i love the heat and i love being really warm you know, we do miss that a little in the UK. Yeah. But I'm hopefully at some point when things clear up a bit, going over to Austin to go do some stuff with the hideout in real life. Mm -hmm. So I'm like, it's going to be barbecue central. <laughs> You're going to take me to all the legit Ameri like Southern American barbecue and I'm ready to have my mind blown. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, I definitely have a, a list of places that I want to go to and just eat the local food as soon as... Uh as soon as it's safe to travel again. Oh, yeah. I mean, that was one of the things that I loved the most about doing improv pre-pandemic was like, there's a huge um, European improv scene that, and the festival's going on sort of year round. Mm -hmm. And I was traveling so much and getting to see so many different places and go and try food for, you know, everywhere. Like, I think the year before the pandemic, I was in... Estonia and Germany and Sweden and Bulgaria and uh, France and S I think Spain as well like because you just go for you know four or five days and just hang out in a city do some improv and you know because you're visiting there's local improvisers who are like oh we should go here or oh, right. you should try this place you it's not the same as going on holiday like you get local people who were like oh no no no, don't go there you should go to this place to try this thing <laughs> which is just great and i miss that so so much yeah i haven't uh i haven't gotten the chance to do the like touring shows thing yet but that's uh it's on my list you know it's on the list oh for sure you absolutely should it's just such a re it's just such a nice way to see a city well because you get shown around by the people who know it it's it's like yeah. it's better than a tour guide because you get the like actual experience of like normal people exactly yeah you get to go to all the funky stuff that like you just wouldn't think to do if you were a tourist blowing through for a week or whatever right um yeah yeah, yeah i can't recommend improv festivals highly enough you should absolutely make sure that's top of the priority list post pandemic <laughs> i love that so what is your personal favorite thing to either grill yourself or to eat off a grill? Oh, that's so tough. I think probably, uh, I'm sorry, environment, but it's probably either like a really good burger, you know, like a proper like chunky meaty burger mm -hmm. that's like r still quite bloody. Sure. Or steak. Yeah, like beef steak. Um, again, very rare uh yeah it's probably the it's the beef products and i know they're the worst ones but they're so tasty i get God it. Damn it i get it i try like you know b between budget and environment 
it is hard to like justify getting beef as often as I would like to. So I'm mm-hmm. like, I try to cut it down, but it's definitely, there is nothing like it. It's yeah. And I like mean, it. I love, like I had barbecued venison mm-hmm. and that is really good, but it's still, it's just not, it's not quite, it's just, there's nothing quite like beef, you know? Totally. It's so sad. <laughs> oh, but an honorable mention for a really unusual thing that I had on a grill mm-hmm. when I was in Turkey that I was like, oh shit, why have I not done this before? <laughs> um, when I was, I think 13 or 14, we went to one of these like proper all-inclusive hotel things in Turkey, like me and my brother and sister and my parents. Um, so it was literally like just eat, eat, eat and drink, drink, drink all day. It was amazing. But the chefs, they had like a grill there and you could go up and be like, ooh, can you grill this for me? Can you grill this? Oh, I love and that. And I went up and the chef was like, oh, I'm grilling some liver. You should try it. It's really good. And I like, I really like liver. So I was like, oh, fuck, yeah, barbecued <laughs> liver. Give it to me. And oh my God. I mean, I love liver anyway, but barbecued liver was just like so dreamy it makes this the texture because you know liver has that like soft texture mm-hmm. that combined with like the grill marks is just it, like it was so delicious uh-huh. it was one of the best meals i've ever had i think and i've cool. never quite been able to replicate it myself but it was just it was so good that sounds great i know yeah. um somebody so we did this big uh indiegogo fundraiser back in uh the spring and uh i'm saying back in the spring because this is coming out in june <laughs> we did this big indiegogo <laughs> fundraiser this spring and uh one of the perks was that people could request a like topic for an episode of this show that i would then like have to you know produce a whole episode on at some point and someone requested an episode about like i think fried liver specifically so i'm like in my mind i'm making notes here of like okay i'm gonna try a bunch of different kinds of liver preparation and prep for that because i like i think i've had liver like once or twice in my life it left no impression on me i really don't know what I'm in for so knowing that you can grill it is really exciting because that you know I'm someone who doesn't like to grill just one thing at a time because I feel like I I grill charcoal so it's like a whole like process right and it feels silly to like light the coals to grill just a couple steaks and then shut the whole thing down so maybe I'll get some uh some liver and try that next time I'm out there grilling something else and uh do it oh my god yeah let me know how you like it because I honestly I I wish I could work out how to replicate it because it was just, I mean, it's still good when I've done it myself. It's just, I guess the combination of spices or whatever it was that they did was just perfect. I love that. I think there's also something to the like the added seasoning of memory, you know, when something, when you like had something delicious, that's an extra ingredient that gets added to it that makes it impossible to replicate later. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is totally true. And I'm such a sucker for looking at things with rose-tinted glasses from the past. So yeah, you are absolutely right. I love that. Well, hey, this has been really, really awesome. Thank you so much for being part of it. Do you have any thought, final thoughts on barbecue, on queerness, or on lists that end with a third option before I let you go? Uh, or anything that you want to plug? I suppose my final thoughts on barbecues and queerness are... Go be gay with some barbecues, everyone who's listening. Like, it's it's a good time for everyone. Yeah. Eat, drink, and be merry and gay. I teach quite a bit, so if you want to learn some improv, that would be cool. Um, I'm doing, uh, depending on when this goes out, I'm doing a class on death and dying and improvisation via the nursery theatre, which I'm really excited about. That's like my passion project i i also work 
in the death and dying sphere for a, a very early stage startup. Um, and I'm doing some work, work with death donors and stuff. And I run a death cafe. Wow. So if you've ever thought I would like to just talk about death, um, then look up Death Cafe for Performers on Facebook. We run them very sporadically, but very passionately. Um, That's very and, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, I teach. I, I, I direct hot singles in your area. I improvise with the old Bill, and they don't know the half of it. Um, and I run uh, vocal technique classes for improvisers. So if you're thinking the pipes need a bit of fine tuning, then uh, seek me out, and I will help you uh with that endeavor <laughs> that's amazing do you you have a website that that'll all be on yes awesome. i am at rhiannonjenkins.net because somebody else already had rhiannonjenkins.com so i get the really 90s website <laughs> <laughs> that's kind of fun though it, it gives it its yeah. own like flair you know yeah it's nostalgic yeah. um yeah so rhiannonjenkins.net i have all of my teaching and directing and everything else is on there so uh yeah come find me um, and send you know, and send me recipes for barbecuing things as well. <laughs> awesome! I'll make sure that there's a link to that in the description of the episode as well for ease of access. Thank you so much. This was great. Yeah, this was so much fun. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to No Bad Food. Want to join the conversation? Hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at No Bad Food Pod. If you like this episode and want to help us make the show even better, you can head to patreon.com slash nobadfoodpod to donate. For as little as a dollar a month, you'll be joining the ranks of fine folks like Patrick, Gabriel, Kendall, and Carlea, Thomas, George, Poppy, Killian, Sarah, Angelica, Anne, Andrew, Laura, Chantal, and David. Patrons get access to all kinds of awesome perks, including the ability to request topics for episodes of the show. So if that is appealing to you, you can head to patreon.com slash pod or hit the link in the description of this episode for ease of access we also have merch and you can hit the merch link in the description of this episode to get all sorts of great stuff from our lovely friends over at t public and of course you can support us for free by leaving a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice and by sharing this episode with a friend our theme music is by zach ingles and our cover art is by david flam you can find links for both of them in the description of this episode as well as links to everything that rhiannon wants you to check out and last but not least the show is produced and edited by me tom zalat and i as part of the upford network you can find out about all the great shows on our network at upfordnetwork.com Bye-bye. You understand. It just takes a little time. It takes a little time. It takes a little time with me. I hope you don't mind. We'll take it slow this time. I'm October Jones, Hi, and this I'm is- I'm Fish With Legs. I'm a fish with legs. Fish. I'm the elemental creature of water, and I'm here to tell you about my podcast called October Jones and Fish With Legs, starring me and my best friend, <laughs> October Jones. Nailed it. October and Fish is a fictional series that follows me and Fish With Legs as we try to stop an evil two-headed snake from releasing a terrible monster. And make friends, and go on adventures, and get captured a lot, and escape a lot, and encounter racism. And what? And learn very special lessons every third episode. I have not learned a single lesson. Yes, you did. We learned about being friends, and authoritarianism, and colonialism, and how to defeat a giant crab. Authoritarianism? They're in authority for a reason, Fish With Legs. If everyone followed the rules set in place by the human government, then there wouldn't be- for adults and kids. <sighs> New episodes on Mondays. You can find it wherever you find podcasts, and of course, on the Upford website. Okay, that's-
that's it. Bye! What Mega Man boss would make the most terrifying kaiju? I, for one, want to be the first to welcome our new kaiju overlords. How would Adam Sandler fit in the MCU? I injected myself with the Green Goblin serum. Oh! Debate This is a podcast that asks the questions about your favorite video games and comics that no one is asking. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever else you download podcasts. And on social media at Debate This Cast. None of it's that is so mind control. Though. It's so close. It's not it's, so close. It, it,